Well, normally I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to the portion we're going to read, uh, and that is found in the book of Proverbs today, but um, I'm going to ask you instead, open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, that's fine, um, but I'm going to ask you instead to, to make sure you have this handout that you should have received on your way in. Uh, you will see that we're going to be, we won't look at every reference on that sheet today, but we are certainly going to be looking at a lot of references in the book of Proverbs today, and you won't be able to follow me by turning there yourself, so we are going to bring up the scriptures on the screen uh, as I read them, and you might want to just underline them in, in your notes, uh, but please do keep the handout uh, with you. You should have also last week received this little booklet on the way of wisdom when we started our series. It was also emailed to you, uh, a little booklet that uh, explains what the Proverbs are, how to, to meditate on a proverb, and then some challenges at the back for us to commit to reading the Proverbs. And the idea is, uh, going forward, that uh, you'll take one of these worksheets each week or uh, one of these handouts that it'll slot into your little booklet and by the end of the series we will have uh, a little uh, workbook on Proverbs which you can refer to uh, again and again um, as you desire to grow in the wisdom of the Lord. Um, so do stay in Proverbs uh, and keep your, your handout uh, in front of you. Uh, now last week we saw that the Proverbs contain the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God to instruct us as to how we are to live in this world, in God's world, with skill. With skill. We are being bombarded every day of our lives with advice as to how we can become more healthy or more successful at work or how to make more money or how to get ahead in our careers or how to find true love in relationships. Uh, and I would suggest that most, if not all, of that so-called wisdom is not the wisdom of God. Uh, in fact, the so-called wisdom of the world very often specifically ignores God and promotes life in this world without God. And so as we come to the book of Proverbs, I, I hope that you are eager to learn how to align your heart and your life to the true wisdom of God. Wisdom which we will see not only benefits us in this life, but ultimately benefits us uh, eternally in the life to come. And so today we're going to start with one of the most prominent uh, themes in the book of Proverbs, namely the subject of our speech. This theme of speech makes up one-sixth of the entire book of Proverbs. There are about 150 verses in the book of Proverbs that have something to do with our speech. And we're only going to touch on a portion of those verses this morning, but your handout has a complete list, or a relatively complete list, not all 150, uh, but gives you a, a full uh, picture of what the book of Proverbs has to say about speech, and we want to encourage you to, to take that handout and perhaps in your daily devotions in the course of this next week, uh, work your way through each of those verses that are listed in the handout. Now, if you think about it, the ability that we have to communicate through speech is one of God's primary gifts to us as human beings. It's one of the things which distinguishes us from the rest of all God's creatures. And at its foundational level, speech is what identifies us as those who have been made in the image of God. 
If you go back to Genesis chapter one, you will see that the Bible begins with God speaking. We see that the Garden of Eden was a place of words. God spoke all of creation into existence with words. God then gave Adam and Eve the unique ability to communicate with him and to communicate with each other using words. And so it's no surprise then that Satan came and sowed utter ruin and destruction in God's paradise with words. Ever since then, words which were meant to distinguish us from the animals, from the brute beasts, allowing us to communicate with God and to communicate with each other, those same words have been the cause of so much hurt and so much destruction over the history of the world that sometimes I wonder if it would be better for humanity if we lost our ability to speak at all. Now researchers tell us that the average human being speaks about 16,000 words every day. Now what does that look like practically? Well, each of my Sunday sermons is around four to 5,000 words. So every day, each one of us is speaking about three to, full, uh, three to four full sermons of words to others. I know you think one sermon's a lot of words. Well, you speak three to four times that to others every day. And those words impact every aspect of our lives. Every sphere of our lives is not just touched by our words, but is deeply impacted by our words. And so if we want to live well in God's world, if we want to glorify God with all of our lives in this world, and I know that should be, and it, it is certainly the desire of the heart of a Christian to, to glorify God with our lives, well then we need to start by submitting our speech to God's wisdom and his principles for living in his world with skill. So like a good Baptist today, if you look at your handout, you will see that I have three main points today. But like a wannabe Puritan, each of the three points has between four and seven sub points. Uh, and so please keep that before you. You've got the road map that lies ahead of you. And the key text today is taken from uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Uh, we're also going to refer a bit to James chapter 3, which I would encourage you to read yourself. But the text is taken from Proverbs 18, verse 21, which says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I'm sure you grew up, as I did, with the saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never harm me. And I'm sure that it didn't take you long as a child to figure out that that is absolutely not true. No, words have great power. Power to hurt and bring death, or power to heal and to give life. James tells us in James 3, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So except for those of you here this morning who may be the perfect man or the perfect woman, um, today's sermon is vitally important for the rest of us. 
to, to test if we really are a Christian and to then assess our Christianity by examining our words in the light of God's word. And so in the first place this morning, I want us to consider words of healing and life. And we will start by considering then the positive side of our words, words which heal, words which give life. And there's a number of characteristics which the Proverbs reveal about those kinds of words. Firstly, words of healing and life are refreshing like water. Now, if you were at the camp two weeks ago, you will recall that Angus uh, mentioned that some people in your interactions with them are refreshing. Paul spoke of Philemon. He said that Philemon was known to be a person who refreshed the hearts of the saints in Ephesus. Well, one of the first evidences that your speech is wise and pleasing to God is that your words will be refreshing. Refreshing like a cool Drakensberg stream to those around you. Proverbs 10, 11 says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Now maybe you and I are not going to be the best judges of ourselves on this point. For we can so easily have a, an overinflated view of ourselves and an overinflated view of our words. And so I would ask if you have a tr trusted Christian friend, if you have a Christian spouse, and if you are humbly willing to receive their input, they will very quickly tell you whether your speech refreshes them like a fountain of life or leaves them dry and weary. Secondly, words of healing and life are nourishing like food. And this is very similar to the first point, but it speaks more here of, of a long-term sustenance, nourishment, and health in our relationships. Refreshing words uh, tend to be more immediate. It produces immediate results. You can just pass someone by and you can say something that refreshes them. But it's the general pattern of our words to those around us which has a, a much longer lasting impact on them. Let's see how Proverbs describes this. Chapter 10, verse 21. The lips of the righteous. The words of the righteous. What does it do? It feeds many. But fools die for lack of sense. Gracious words are like honeycomb sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue breaks the spirit. So the words of a righteous person, these verses tell us, that's, that's a Christian. When the, when the Proverbs refer to a righteous person, it's speaking about the believer, someone who's walking with God. The words of a Christian feed others. It's like sweet honey. It, it's even equated here in chapter 15, verse 4, to the tree of life. If I'm not mistaken, this is the first reference to the tree of life since the Garden of Eden. The tree of life was, was the tree which granted eternal life. We're going to see this a little bit later, but what an amazing privilege we have that our words 
can actually lead people to find eternal life. Um, Matt, can I just ask you to bring me lap two? This one's playing up again, thanks. So the Apostle Paul here then picks up on, on the nourishing nature of our words and he, and he writes to, to Timothy and Titus and he speaks about sound teaching. And the word sound teaching really means a healthy teaching, healthy words. Thanks, Matt. I'll put it on now. Which, which build up and, and leads to maturity. Let me just bring up those two verses. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That word sound there means healthy, wholesome, nourishing. The time is coming, Timothy, when people won't enjoy, uh, endure healthy words. But what will they do? They'll accumulate for themselves all kinds of, of teachers of wisdom, but they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and they're going to wander off into myths. And therefore, Titus, an elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in what? In sound, healthy, nourishing doctrine and to also rebuke those who contradict it. Let me just uh, switch, switch over here. Right, so that's the, the second aspect of words which heal and bring life. The, the third aspect of words which heal and bring life are words which bring peace instead of war. Peace instead of war. Now, if we could get this point right, life on earth would be so much more pleasant. Our marriages would be sweet, our interaction with our children would be a blessing, and our relationships with others would be filled with joy. But alas, this is where we so often fail, is it not? Let's listen to God's word. Chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. James explains the same truth in, in a bit more detail. James 3 verse 14 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What a simple test to apply to our own hearts this morning. Just think about your words over this past week, maybe even over the past 24 hours. 
how much of your words reaped a harvest of righteousness because you sowed words of peace. Would your wife or your husband assess, uh, agree with your assessment of yourself in the last 24 hours? In the fourth place, words of healing and life restore those who have wandered into sin. This links back to what we saw previously about our words being like the tree of life because I think we are so quick with our words to judge others when they sin, but how seriously do we take the responsibility that God has given us to use our words to lovingly restore those who have wandered away from God's path? Chapter 10, verse 17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. What a great gift God has given to us as his children to be his agents of restoring the wandering sheep of God's family back into the fold with our words of reproof and restoration. Next, we see that words of healing and life instructs the ignorant, instructs the ignorant. We saw this at the beginning of the series last week, that this is one of the main purposes for the whole book of Proverbs, is to instruct those who are simple, those who are ignorant, those who are untaught, in order to teach them knowledge and understanding of God's word and God's ways so that they will live not in folly, but in wisdom. And here we see that this is the responsibility of our words, chapter 10, 13, on the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. On the lips of those who have understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. And so there, are, there may be many practical ways in which our words can instruct the simple and the ignorant concerning a whole host of, of important subject matter here on earth. But ultimately, it's instruction in the word of God that brings true spiritual healing and life. And so God issues a warning to his people. In, in Amos chapter eight, God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'm gonna send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. We've seen in 2 Timothy, 2, uh, 2 Timothy 4 that we are living in those days when people no longer will endure sound teaching, nourishing food from God's word. It's the day and age we are living in. And so we are to be committed to using every opportunity that we have of teaching and instructing the ignorant and the simple in the words of the Lord. This leads on then to a very special use of our words, which is that our words rescue the perishing. Again, this links back to the, the tree of life, and, and Proverbs makes this connection wonderfully clear. Look at chapter 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous, 
The fruit of the Christian is a tree of life, and whoever captures or, or wins or saves souls is wise. Listen to how God views this in chapter 24. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, well, behold, we didn't know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? This proverb comes with a great warning. God has given us words by which we are to warn and rescue those who are perishing. Those who are heading, it says, to the slaughter. And we mustn't think that by turning a blind eye will prove a valid excuse. No, says God, I know your heart. And I will repay each man according to his work. And there is no greater work on this earth than that of winning souls, of capturing souls for Christ. And so finally, under this first heading, we see uh, that words of healing and life encourage those who are burdened. And we have been given this great joy as God's people to not only rescue and save those who are perishing, but also to come alongside those who are saved, but who are weary, who are burdened, who are weighed down by the trials of life, and to encourage and uplift them. So Proverbs 12 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. To make an apt answer is joy. It's a joy to a man to give a person a, a word in season. Man, how good is that? And gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Now, that doesn't mean that we only speak motivational and uplifting words to encourage it. It certainly is nothing less than that. But sometimes the most encouraging words that you can ever speak to another person are the sweet words of earnest counsel as you plead with a friend to turn away from sin and to turn back to God. That is also part of encouraging those who are burdened. Look at chapter 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. But this encouraging of the burdened is not just limited to, to those who are our friends, those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. For God has given us a voice and a platform for our voices to be responsible to speak for those who have no voice and those whose voice has been oppressed or marginalized or not being heard. So Proverbs 31 verse 8 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And Isaiah 50 says this, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. What a wonderful verse. 
If God has blessed you with knowledge, with understanding, with wisdom, with teaching, as you've been part of Honey Ridge for many years, have certainly been blessed. It is so that your words can sustain others who are weary, burdened, oppressed. Isn't it sad then that so often we use our words not to sustain and encourage the weary, but actually to cause others to become weary. So there we have seven facets to the the precious jewel of wise speech, words which shine brightly in a dark world, words that bring healing and, and life to those around us. But as I've been reading these positive proverbs, we've also begun to see that there's another side to speech. And it's, it's dark, it's, it's destructive. Where the same mouth that speaks blessing is used to speak curses. So in the second place, we need to be instructed against using our words to bring hurt and death. We're going to move through these a bit quicker, and we we don't have time to read nearly all of the verses for each of these points. So please go home and and read through each of the verses in your quiet time. Please don't think, you know, Clinton, I know that lying is bad. I don't need to read 12 verses on lying and falsehood. Can I remind you, this is God's Word. and It's only as you and I read it and meditate on it that God's Holy Spirit will do the work of convicting our hearts and transforming us into the likeness of Christ. So do not despise the Word of God as we look at these matters. And so the first way that our words cause hurt and death, that's the language used in Scripture, is when we speak falsehood and lies. Now let's make sure that we firstly understand how God views lying. Uh, If there are children in our congregation this morning, boys and girls, listen up. How does God view lying? Because if we get lying wrong as young people, we're going to get it wrong for the rest of our lives. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. No, wait, seven that are an abomination to him. Yeah, they are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to, to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I think it is most significant that of the seven things which are listed as an abomination to God, that three out of the seven things involve speech. And lying is mentioned twice. We should not be surprised because Jesus himself said that the devil is the father of lies and telling lies is his native language. And so when we speak words that are not true, be that lying or half-truths or all kinds of exaggerations, we are speaking the native language of Satan himself. So let's quickly get a glimpse of how Proverbs describes lying. Chapter 12, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. 
A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. In other words, lies are destructive. They always lead to trouble and wickedness and in the end cause great destruction in our own lives and in the lives of others. And don't think that God has a sense of humor to tolerate falsehood and lies which are covered in a spirit of jest. Listen to this next one. Proverbs 26, verse 18. Like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows and death is what? The man who deceives his neighbor and says, ah, man, I was just joking. Parents, can I encourage you to nip this one in the bud when it rears its head in your children, when they try to hide their lying behind the only joking line. You need to use your words then to instruct the simple and the ignorant to help them to see how God views their playing games with the truth. Secondly, we kill and hurt with our words through flattery, boasting, and pride. Now, while most of us, I think, would never openly advocate for telling lies in in category one, this next category, sadly, I think is so characteristic of so many of the words which Christians speak, namely flattery and boasting and pride. Proverbs chapter five, verse three says, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With smooth talk, she compels him. We'll get to adultery and sexual purity in the Proverbs later on. But here we see that the vehicle that the adulterous woman uses is flattery. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Flattery has great power over our sinful hearts because it panders to the love of self. But in the end, it only leads to destruction. What about boasting? What about boasting? Chapter 25, verse 14 says, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift and does not give. How descriptive is that? As the thunderstorm sort of wakes up on a, on a Thursday afternoon and you know the rain is coming. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's wind, and then there's nothing. So is the man who boasts but does not carry out. Do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Let a stranger praise you and not your own lips. See, in the end, both flattery and boasting uh, are linked to pride. Matt, I'm going to ask you to just switch the screen off. It's irritating me. I don't know if it's irritating everyone else, but um, I just keep wondering if the rapture's about to happen as this light flashes here in the right corner, but um, I think we can all just follow along uh, on, on that screen. It's maybe not something you've thought about before, but both flattery and boasting are, are linked to pride. 
See, boasting comes from your own heart of pride, and flattery panders to the other person's pride. And so Proverbs is clear that God hates everything that comes from a heart of pride. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, says God. Look at the next verse. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. It's, it's these arrogant, haughty scoffers that the New Testament warns us about. In Jude 18, in the last time, there will be scoffers. That's these people, haughty, arrogant, proud people, following their ungodly passions. It's they who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. God hates anything to do with pride. And boasting and flattery are both forms of that. Next, we hurt and kill with our words through anger, arguments, and quarrels. Now, please notice on your handout how long the list of references are on this point. Oh, if only we could take back the, the destruction caused every day in our lives through words spoken in anger, words which cause arguments and, and strife and quarrels. I'm not going to look at these in any order. Let me just give you a couple verses to, to show you how God views words spoken in anger. Proverbs 29, a man of wrath, a man of anger, he stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Words do that. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. By the way, this is not limited to angry men either. Proverbs 21, it's better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. How does Proverbs help us practically to avoid this kind of angry, quarrelsome speech? Well, look at this wisdom. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Once the dam wall breaks, there is nothing you can do to stop the floodwaters and the destruction it causes. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. And how do you know if a conversation has become an argument which is headed towards a quarrel? Well, usually the volume goes up. Proverbs 27 verse 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice will be counted as cursing. How much do we not think that if only we just shouted at our wives, they'll finally get the point. It may be that what we say is even true, but because it's said with volume, it comes across as a curse. What incredible insight into the dark recesses of our hearts and our homes. Husbands and wives, how much of your speech to each other this past week has been spoken in anger? Parents to children, children to parents, 
siblings to one another. How many of your words this week caused arguments or fueled quarrels? Proverbs reminds us that this kind of speech hurts and it brings death. Fourthly, our words hurt and kill when we speak insult, slander, and gossip. Can I just say the amount of counseling that we as pastors have to deal with every week in our church office, which stems from this issue, is deeply concerning. Words spoken by so-called Christians against other brothers or sisters in Christ, which is devoid of love and grace and very often is pure slander and gossip. Again, please read through the full list at home. Let me just give you a few. Proverbs 10, 18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever utters slander is a fool. The words of a whisperer or a gossip are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body, not to do good, but to poison. Whoever goes about slandering or gossiping reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a matter covered or concealed. The next category that causes so much hurt and death through our words is, is that which we often excuse with, oh, I didn't mean it, I just said it without thinking. So in the fifth place, we see that our words hurt and kill through impetuous speech. This is speech which is spontaneous, it's, it's off the cuff, it's impulsive. It often comes as a, as a reaction to something which is said or done uh, towards us. And yet often it's these impetuous, impulsive words that cause the most damage. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words, impulsive words, are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. We think about our words, says the Proverbs, but the mouth of the wicked just pours out evil things. It just, it just comes. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. To speak before you've listened, it's foolishness. Do you see a man hasty in his words, quick to speak? Man, there is more hope for a fool than for him. And closely related to this impetuous speech is the next point, which is excessive speech. Don't you just wish that you could take back words spoken in anger or slander or words spoken impulsively? I know I certainly wish I had that opportunity. But sadly, the reason that it's so hard to take back the things we wish we never said is because when we use our words to hurt and to kill, we tend to use so many words. Proverbs says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips is, comes to ruin. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools just pours out folly. Know this, my beloved brother, says James, let every person be quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then one final category of words which hurt and kill 
are reserved for those who are all talk and no action. And just two proverbs there. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So James says, be doers of the word and not only hearers, otherwise you are simply deceiving yourself. So we need to bring our study to a close, and, and one of the dangers that we're going to face in these studies of the Proverbs is that you're going to come to these sermons, and you're going to take the handout, and you think, well, this is just the Bible's long list of do's and don'ts, that if only I do the good things and I don't do the bad things, then all will be fine. But can I say up front, that is not the purpose of Proverbs. The reason there are so many proverbs, and in this case on speech, for example, and why they tackle the subject from so many different angles is to hold up the mirror of God's word to your life and to mine, and so that we will have our hearts exposed. So in the final place, and I'll work very quickly through these, I want us to see our words reveal our hearts And let's just see where where Jesus starts, that our words flow out from our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 12, uh, verse 34 to 35, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So for the sake of time, I'm gonna move on. James 4, one to two, what causes quarrels and fights amongst you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. It's, it's a heart issue. And what does the heart lead to? It says you fight and you quarrel. So the Proverbs likewise affirms that, that speech flows out of our hearts. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. We saw earlier that the springs of life flow out of our mouths, from the heart to the mouth and out. The tongue of the righteous, the tongue of the Christian is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is little worth. The heart of fools proclaim folly. So it's a real challenge for us, isn't it, as we've gone through the lists of of both speech which heals and brings life and speech which hurts and kills, what is the mirror of God's word revealed about the state of your heart today? The next point It's particularly challenging, which is that God will judge all foolish speech. There's two aspects to this judgment. The one is a temporary judgment in this world. Be sure your sins will find you out. God opposes the speech of the wicked. He says a babbling fool will come to ruin. The perverse tongue will be cut off. God overthrows the words of the traitor. That's a general principle. God opposes those who speak words of hurt and death. But yes, we may look around us and we see, well, I see lots of people telling lies, full of corruption, and they seem to prosper. Well, in the end, God will not be mocked. Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. How's that possible? Well, because... Our words reveal our hearts. And so our words will be the outward basis for the judgment of our hearts one day as the evidence of what is there. So then those who have been redeemed by God, the evidence that you are a Christian, the evidence that you are a changed person must surely be the supernatural transformation of your speech. 
If you claim to be a Christian this morning, but your words are not increasingly being characterized by healing and life, then something is very wrong in your heart. And so we need to know that only God can transform our speech. Only God can do it because it's a, it's a heart issue. Psalm 141 verse three says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We are totally dependent upon God and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in this. And so Proverbs 10 says, the mouth of the righteous, the mouth of the Christian is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So in closing this morning, we need to realize that nothing good can ever flourish in our hearts. Nothing good can then ever flow out of our mouths unless we have embraced Jesus as the source of all true wisdom. Proverbs prepares us for Jesus when it says, speaking of Jesus or speaking of, of wisdom personified in Proverbs 8, we read here, for I will speak noble things and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. That's Jesus. Solomon's final words in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says, besides being wise, the preacher taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care as we've considered this morning. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. And that one shepherd is none other than Jesus, who is the word of God, full of grace and truth. And Jesus says to us today, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. May the mirror of God's word this morning as it's examined our hearts not drive us to despair uh, as we consider the, the tremendous shortcomings in our speech. May it drive us to Jesus, to believe in him, to drink deeply from his living water, to eat daily of his living bread, that out of our hearts may flow these streams of living water. I deliberately went five minutes over this morning to see what your words would look like when we go out to tea and coffee. Cliff, I think we're gonna just, I'll just close the service uh, this morning. Uh, I know we've gone over, I apologize uh, for that. Um, but may God go with us uh, as we seek to honor him in this weekend. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have given us today to consider your word and how your word examines our own hearts. Lord, as we go out from here today, may we first and foremost be those who, before we even seek to change a single thing regarding our speech, be those who make sure that we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have changed our hearts from the inside out. And then we pray, Lord, that you would convict us of our sin in those areas where our speech falls short today, 
that you would elevate for us the, the wonderful picture of what our words are meant to be and can be and should be in Christ, and that we would be people who truly live out this great calling that you have given us to use our words for the glory and honor of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.